0: Okay, y'all know what that sound is by now. It's uh, the theme to Thoughts from a Lawnmower. I really like this one. I really like Steve's voice on this too. I'm, here, uh, I'm just down being down random down. right now. We're going to see where this uh, so podcast goes. So Hope everybody's ready. Uh, some of you can't hear me what I'm saying right now, and that's okay. We'll see how things go today. God, I, did again. I know just how Hope everybody's I had did a good up. previous I weekend. I, I know I did. I don't know why. I cannot wait. Of course, me, God, y'all don't know when this posts, so you don't have any earthly idea which weekend me, I'm talking rescue about. Rescue okay. That's okay. My notes up here. Rescue me. S-O-S. As far as I can read them. A little silent part there. Well, sort of silent. It's rainy outside today. Warm. Well, a little cool, but. I'm just talking. I don't want to be boring I'll let the music not be boring Rescue me, rescue me S.O.S God, I need you Rescue me, rescue me S.O.S You gotta help me S.O.S I decided to make some little extra vocal there. Hope you don't mind. I don't have a Steve voice. Okay, welcome to the next episode of Thoughts from a Lawnmower with Will Rouser. And uh, I'm not going to have a guest today. I'm going to do something a little different. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do a monologue today, and hopefully it won't be as long and it won't be as boring as my very first one. Uh, that was the last time I did a monologue. Was my very first podcast, and I went back and listened to it, and I thought, "Man, this guy is boring. Who is gonna listen to this?" But I feel uh, kind of a necessity to to take a break from the guests. I enjoy I enjoy a lot doing the guests and uh it's it's great when you can have a conversation. I actually do better in a conversation because I don't have to have as much uh I don't have to generate as much content. The conversation naturally generates the content. And uh I'm not as skilled as somebody like Rush Limbaugh or uh, Eddie Trunk or um who else am I thinking of? Um, there's a couple others. Uh, I think, um, yeah, who am I thinking of? Well, Matt Walsh is a good one. Um, there's a lot of really, really good, uh, Ben Shapiro is another one. That's the one I was trying to think of. And, um, these guys are just great at doing monologues and I can do it when I have notes and, I've got notes right now, but I'm not going to necessarily follow them because I just kind of want to just want to chat with you folks today, and I hope that uh, I can keep you interested. It's a couple of things that I just kind of want to get off my chest. Uh, since since this is thoughts from a lawnmower, it's my thoughts from a lawnmower. That's the whole that's the whole premise of the show, uh, of the podcast is what I think. And I know some of you might say, well, who cares what you think will? And that's a really good question, actually. Who cares what I think? And to be honest with you, I don't really care who listens. You know, there's, I, I think I saw a figure, there's like 700,000 podcasts out there of various kinds. And uh, there was a, actually a question on one of the, one of the uh um Facebook pages that I'm kind of a member of somebody asked the question of the seven hundred thousand podcasts there are out there, and that's a lot and I'm not sure that number is an actual figure. I think it's probably just uh just a a roundabout figure that somebody threw out there but there's there's probably about that many uh if not more but out of the seven hundred thousand podcasts that exist. What makes yours stand out? Now, the question wasn't necessarily directed at me. It was kind of a general question, getting people who do podcasts to answer. And, and my answer was, I nothing makes mine special. The fact is, I'm doing this for fun. I'm doing this because it's an outlet for me to put out my opinions and my thoughts. And everyone is free to listen or not listen, but I just I just felt that that this would be an opportunity for me to share my opinions, right or wrong, whether you agree or disagree. I would share my opinions and give my perspective on something, and I'm not really interested in anybody's feedback. If if uh, if there are people out there, that, and there are some people out there listening, some of them are my some good personal friends, and some of them I. I don't even know who they are and, and maybe they're hearing something that, that I'm putting out there that they enjoy and I, I'm grateful to that. And I'm actually grateful to those who don't, well, maybe they've listened and they're like, well, this isn't for me. Well, I'm grateful that you came by, by and listened to what I had to say so that uh, it helps me uh, focus how I want to do this and and it helps me see how I progress. But I'm not really interested. I have no care whether you like this or not and I'm not saying that to belittle anybody I'm just saying that uh, I believe in freedom of speech I also believe in the freedom to choose and if this is not for you then don't listen go somewhere that edifies you go some go go listen to a podcast that you enjoy that's you know, I mean, there's plenty of them out there. And I mean, there's, there's people, there's plenty of people out there that I don't agree with that. I still enjoy uh, the fact that they have a podcast. I, I've, I've talked to many people who, uh, they, I, I have friends who've written books and, uh, I had one friend in particular, this was years ago. He wrote a book and, uh, he said, "William, I, I really would like you to read my manuscript and give me a uh give me a critique on it." And I was like, "Well, okay, I will, but I don't know if uh I I don't know if if you'll like or appreciate any criticism I had." And it was very it was very hard to criticize because he was my friend. I mean, I, there were some parts that I didn't personally agree with uh or at least I didn't agree with how he presented his his uh his thesis. In certain areas, and I wrote my critique out, outlining each thing that I kind of took issue with. And there were thing there were positive things, there were great things in the, in that book, and I pointed those out too. But once I was done with my critique of his book, I I made a note and I said, "Look, no matter what I say in this, you need to write this book and you need to publish this book, because." There's something there's some things in here that people need to read. There there's things in here we need to see your insight. Okay. I yeah, I don't agree necessarily with this situation, this situation, but I still think you should write this book. If for no other reason than you need to be heard. And so even though there's plenty of people out there that I disagree with whether it's in uh podcasting or in the, in, in the news media or in print publication, I'm not against these kind of, uh, I'm not against people posting their opinions. I'm not, I'm not against that at all. Um, There's actually a, there's a YouTube channel and I won't say their name, but there's a YouTube channel. They, they do music critiques and they do, um, they do different things that, that I like. I love. I love watching their music reviews, uh, especially since they're doing. Uh, they're reviewing songs that I've heard for over thirty years, and they're just now coming into it, and they're now just discovering it. But I don't agree with their their stances on a couple of things. And uh, he the 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 guy of the 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 guy in the in the couple it was a couple that does this this uh, particular U- YouTube channel, he was like, well, I know I'm going to get a bunch of people who are going to disagree with me on this or that or other, and they're not going to like what I have to say, but I'm not going to muzzle myself. And Well, that wasn't the exact quote, but that was essentially what he was saying. I'm not going to muzzle myself, and if, if you don't like what I have to say, don't listen. And I was sitting there going, you know, this guy has a point. And since I don't like what he has to say, I don't subscribe. I I'll, I'll listen occasionally. I'll, you know, if there's something that they do that I think will interest me, I will listen. But I don't subscribe to them because I just, I think they're wrong in so many ways. And, I mean, they're not stupid people by any means. But I don't agree with them. And so I took his advice on, you know what? You're right. I'm not going to listen. And there are times when I will like listen to his, their, to their record reviews, to the, their song review, and then once they start going on to political tangents or things that I think are uh, not that I I just yeah I can't get behind that. I shut it off and move on. You know, there's no point in commenting. I don't make comments in the. I did once or twice, but I don't make any comments anymore because a it's a waste of time, and b it's not going to change their mind so i thought about it, and there was something else that he said and when he said you know don't listen go start your own channel and i thought you know what that's a that's a good motivation to go start my own podcast i mean i had other motivations but that was a good that was a, a good thing that i heard him say that like you know if you don't like it go do something else go find something else and i don't think enough of us do that I think enough of a, a lot of us, and myself included, I, I've had to try and curb this ha- this habit. But a lot of times we get on something and we like it, and we we want to criticize it, and we want to shape it into our what we think it should say and do. And simply put, there's no law that says we have to watch that YouTube channel. There's no law that says you have to listen to this podcast. If you don't like it, find something else. And there's plenty, there's plenty to choose from. We have options. You have options. So and that's you know, I'm I'm not trying to be ugly. I'm not trying to uh, be snotty and and tell people. Well, you know, you can just go do whatever it is you want to do. What I'm, well, I am kind of saying that, but I don't. I'm not trying to be flippant about it. I'm simply saying that we have options. We all have choices and it's okay and i think what i'm going to have to do is i'm going to have to go uh let my dog out cuz she's kind of letting me let me know that she needs to go out so hold on just a second it's real folks sorry about that but it's real and uh you know it's live uh well it's actually not live because you'll be he- i'm recording this and you'll be hearing it uh at a later time, but it's live right now, so anyway, you know, if, if, like I said, and I'm repeating myself, it's okay, it doesn't offend me, if those of you who kind of catch this and go, man, this guy's boring, or he's, I, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know what he's talking about, or I don't like what he's talking about, it's fine, there's plenty of, there's plenty of, uh, Really good content out there, great content. So uh, I'm just kind of I'm filling this niche for myself, and so I guess with that going all around that and kind of explaining, you know, what thoughts for a Milan mower is really about is along along with that is that I love having the guests, and i i want to uh, I want to continue to bring some my friends, and even some new friends that I've just met who have some great, you know, great things to talk about that I think are interesting, and I want to present that, present them to you, but I'm kind of, I don't know, I'm kind of, I don't want to say bookmarking, but I'm kind of, right now, in in between guests, and I wanted to have some content out now that it's March, and as of this, uh, as of this taping, we don't use tape but as of this recording uh, it's March 3rd and uh, of 2020 uh, just in case you know historians find this recording um, and uh, so I don't have any guests lined up and I just wanted to kind of talk about a couple of things that have caught my attention over the last mm, well the last couple of weeks and uh, we're just gonna kind of I'm gonna kind of buzz around a couple of things. It's uh, it's not really. It, it's kind of news. I'm not. I'm not. I don't do news per se. I just kind of try to find some interesting things to talk about. And one of the first things that that's really got my attention was with the band Striper and what I am naming Cigar Gate. Now, for those of you who aren't aren't in the know about this. Uh, Striper is a uh, an '80s Christian heavy metal band, and I say '80s. I, I hate to use the term hair band, but that seems to be the uh, the term that is used. And so they're they're from the '80s, and uh, they're from the LA metal scene, the same scene that brought us bands like Rat and Dokken, and Motley Crue, and of course. Uh, my favorite band of all time, uh, Van Halen. Uh, Van Halen, of course, was one of the first of the the L.A. Strip bands that, that, that paved the way for the rest of these bands to get signed. Bands like, uh, you know, like I said, Rat and um, Dokken, Motley Crue, Warrant. Um, oh, goodness, there, there's a slew of Wasp. There's a ton of them that have come out of that, out of that scene in the 80s, and, um, so anyway, uh, Striper was one of those bands, as a matter of fact, um, lead singer and guitar player, Michael Sweet, and his brother, Robert Sweet, well, actually all of them, um, had played in bands, in the, (coughs) excuse me, in the, in the locale, (coughs) it's live, folks, in the locale, and, uh, they had actually played with people interspersed around that time. Um, they knew people like the late Randy Rhodes, and they they you know they knew people like um, well they they met people like Edward Van Halen and uh, Warren D Martini and George Lynch and Don Dokken and um, Nikki Six and uh, the the whole the whole slew the whole that class of of musicians that was coming out of that scene at that time so they came right out of that and i remember finding striper uh when i was a teenager uh, i was i think it was like 17 when i finally found him and of course i was into all of that music and as a christian it was looked down upon for me to be listening to that kind of music and you know, so the alternatives were people like Petra, and I—I I, I can't remember all of them that were kind of the alternatives, but or the at least the the so-called Christian alternatives to um the uh, to the heavy metal of the time. But a lot of that, a lot of the Christian versions of this stuff was really bad, and I'm not trying to slam Petra, uh, Petra was good for what they did, but it wasn't what I was looking for in music, it it just wasn't, and most of it wasn't, it wasn't good quality, it wasn't good sounding, um, and then all of a sudden we had Striper, and I remember buying their, uh I think it was like a two song uh EP on cassette, and uh, one of them had uh, their version of uh, uh, Winter Wonderland, and then I forget what the other song was on the uh, on the B side. But um, I was like, man, these guys are actually really good. I mean, the the production was excellent. The songs were great. Well, Winter Wonderland was a cover, but the sound was amazing. They they sounded professional. You know, it was huge. And so once I started uh, finding their um, their albums, once they became available, I was snatching it up. And then band, then it was at that point that there were some Christian bands that actually had some meat to them. They had some really, really good songs, uh, really great sounds. Uh, bands like White Cross, that was another one that came out. Bands like Guardian, um, bands like Angelica. A- and so they, the, the quality level started really, really going up when striper came out Stri- striper really they were at the forefront of what Christian heavy rock should be and should have been and they weren't they weren't actors they were they were the real deal I mean they their 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 lyrical content was all about Jesus uh and the and the things of God uh they were they were good lyrics they were they were You know, sometimes the lyrics were a little hokey, but no more hokey than some of the stuff that was coming out of, you know, there was some hokey lyrics that came out of Motley Crew, some hokey lyrics that came out of Rat, you know, so the hokeyness was not exclusive to the Christian band, and um, so anyway, I really, really dived into Striper, and I everything that i read about it, every time i saw them i mean it was they were the real deal and they still are and they went through some they've they've gone through some trials and tribulations and they've gotten gotten criticized some of it illegitimate a lot of it illegitimate and some of it very legitimate and here we are in 2020 and the 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 whole big hoo ha oh and I saw this on Facebook it was it was reported in other outlets but I happened to see it on Facebook and it was apparently there is a picture that Michael Sweet again guitar player and vocalist of Striper and their bass player Perry Richardson who is a recent addition to the band I think within the last two or three years and there's a picture of them just chilling out outside smoking cigars. And apparently, there's a bunch of Christians up in arms about this. Now, I'll tell you straight up that I don't really know if that many Christians are upset about it. As a matter of fact, I think that the, the whole headline that a bunch of Christians are upset about this is, well, amplified to distortion if I could uh, put a guitarist spin on uh, my terms there. And I don't think that most Christians even care. But I'm also sure that there are a few out there, probably a select few, that probably are throwing a stink that apparently the guys in Striper enjoy a cigar. Okay? And so that has made the, the headlines on Facebook and it's made the headlines in... I don't know, it was a Loudwire, which is a, a metal, uh, heavy metal magazine, uh, online magazine, and, um, and a couple other outlets. And so apparently everybody's all uptight about Michael Sweet and Perry Richardson having, uh, I think it's his name, Perry Richardson. Perry, I know his first name is Perry. So anyway, I think that, that's not right, Perry Richardson can't be his name. I'm going to have to look that up. I didn't put that in my notes. I know his name is Perry. Uh, We'll just go with that right now. Um, So anyway, so we got Sweet and and Perry who are outside smoking a cigar. And so we've got a bunch of people who are, I guess, judging them over smoking cigars. All right. And I saw a lot on Facebook, and I saw this on Facebook, and then I see a bunch of people running to, uh, Sweet, to Striper's defense saying, you know, how dare you judge these men, blah, blah, blah. And we've got a bunch of what I consider, at least in this, self-righteous Christians who are judging the judges. And so I kind of want to make, uh, I want to make. I want to address three groups here in in this this whole uh, non-controversy. It's really a non-controversy. It really doesn't it doesn't matter, really. But I'm going to address the three uh, primary actors, and they're, they're groups. But I'm gonna I'm gonna address them. And so my first address is to those judging the band. Okay. And I would ask you, if you're judging the band because you saw a picture of them smoking cigars, why in the world are you all up in arms over this? This is a total non-issue. Okay? Smoking is not a sin. Now I know some of you who are listening right now who may be Christian might hear that and go, I can't believe William claims to be a Christian and says smoking is not a sin. Well, it's not. I haven't seen anywhere in the Bible where smoking is even remotely called a sin. Now, you might respond to that by saying, "Well, there's a lot of things that aren't directly addressed in the Bible that we know are sins," and that is true. You would also you could also argue that that they didn't have smoking back then, which I don't I don't believe. Um, smoking is a very old habit. Okay, but and there are various reasons for why smoking was started. Well, I'll tell you one reason. You know, people people didn't bathe regularly like we do nowadays. And uh I mean in especially in European cultures and Asian cultures and in, in Middle Eastern cultures, you know, bathing was a luxury for, you know, maybe once a month, twice a month. So, you know, people stank and that's why you had all sorts of perfumes and you had all sorts of uh you know scented well I forget what they call it but uh you know they had things to help make the odor mask the odor of body odor and anybody who's been around somebody who hasn't bathed for a while you know what I'm talking about so smoking if you aren't aren't aware of it 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 masks odors because it him it it hinders your sense of smell. Uh I know plenty of people who they've smoked that they can't when they smoke they can't smell certain bad odors. It helps them, you know, they 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 can't smell it. And then of course after they quit smoking, then they go back and they'll be with someone like now they know what us non-smokers and I'm a non-smoker, now they know what we smell on smokers. Um, and I'll tell you this right now, smoking, I, this is what I think about smoking. Okay. I think smoking is a nasty, ugly habit. I think smoking is personally, I, I don't really like it. Although I will have to tell you, I'd rather see somebody smoke than chew tobacco or snuff. I, oh, that's just disgusting to me, but I'd rather see somebody smoke if they had to indulge in tobacco products at all. I'd rather see him smoke. Um, that is a personal opinion as is a lot of this, but I would tell you that while I think smoking is a bad habit, I think it's a bondage. I, 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 I do believe that smoking is a bondage. I believe people are hooked on it and it's, I believe it's unhealthy. Right, and you can argue from the scriptures. Well, you know, you're doing damage to your temple, to the to the temple of God. Okay, that's fine. But if you're gonna, if you're gonna say that, then you might want to think about how much soft drinks you consume. And I consume my fair share, by the way. You might, you know, those of you who want to talk about damaging your, you know, you don't do something because it damages your body, it damages the temple. Well, then maybe you should just drink water. Sweet tea is not exactly, I love sweet tea, but sweet tea is not exactly the, the healthiest of beverages. Okay, what about coffee? You know, coffee has its has its health benefits, but it also, it has caffeine in it. And that is a, a problem for the temple. Okay, it raises your blood pressure. And uh, that's why you, that's why people need to, and, and you can get hooked on caffeine. So, if, if you want to talk about not damaging the body, maybe you need to reconsider some of the things that you choose to consume, and you don't think about it. So, anyway, back, back getting back on the subject, uh, I, I, while I think smoking is, a, is an unhealthy, nasty habit, I don't think it's a sin. I don't, I don't believe the Bible points that out, that it's a sin. I don't think it's a good thing, and you could probably argue that it would be better for the saints of God to not smoke, but let me tell you, I, I'm going to tell you straight up that I have had, I'm sorry about that sound effect there, um, I'm running this on my PC, and uh, unfortunately I got various alerts, so we'll just ignore it, but at any rate, uh, I lost my train of thought well i think that that uh it's an unhealthy habit oh i know what i was going to say that while i while I, I i think you could probably find scripturally that this, it'd be better if the saints of god don't indulge in certain habits there were many really really good christian movers and shakers who smoked they either smoked cigarettes or smoked cigars uh, I can think of two, uh, C.S. Lewis, who is probably one of the most brilliant modern theologians. When I say modern, he's been dead for a long time now, but um, 20th century, and uh, he smoked. And uh, I believe uh, J.R.R. R. Tolkien, who was a contemporary of C.S. Lewis, also smoked cigars at least. Uh, I know that... Um, Oh, darn it, I can't, there's another one that's uh, a great, uh, I've often seen his quotes. It'll come to me. Uh, I'm kind of flying off the cuff here, folks, so some things are just not at the forefront of my mind as I'm trying to go uh, illustrate this stuff. Um, But there are several uh, great men and women of God who probably had indulged in certain habits that we modern Christians probably would regard with uh disdain. You know, we can't really can't really say their sins, but you probably shouldn't do it. And I grew up Nazarene and uh Nazarenes were very um uh we were very I'm gonna use this term, it's not I'm not using it in a political sense, but we were very conservative and in certain areas, uh, very, very, very. And, you know, it was, you know, you didn't you didn't drink, you didn't smoke, you didn't go to R-rated movies. Uh, PG-13 movies were even suspect. It's probably better that you didn't go to those either. You know, we didn't do this, we didn't do that, you know. And some of that was, some of that was fine, because it was a response to the culture. And I kind of understand it, but that, didn't make them that didn't make them necessarily biblical mandates and I don't think that I don't think it's a biblical mandate to not smoke now I personally don't but that is my personal choice and although it was probably influenced by my uh, religious upbringing I really it, it, it has less to do with a religious prohibition and more of a personal one so at any rate, um, those of you who are judging the band on this picture, guys, get over it. They're just they're just relaxing, okay. We have a whole lot of other things in this world to concern ourselves with, you know, as Christians. That smoking the cigar doesn't even. I bet he, I bet you that doesn't even register on God's radar. I'm just going to be straight up honest with y'all. I really don't think that that God much cares about this. Now, I I don't know what God, I don't know what their personal relationship with God is. I don't know what's going on in their souls and in their minds, in their hearts. I don't I don't know. You know, maybe God is convicting of them them to not do this and they're rebelling against it or maybe they haven't heard it yet. I don't know but i know in my heart for me it's wrong but it's not a sin and as a as a pastor friend of mine has quoted a couple of times in his sermons he said look you know your your conviction uh oh wait a minute. now i'm now i'm not going to get it right um your uh yeah your conviction is not my command that's how it goes your conviction is not my command i you know and so I, I, I say to you, those of you who are judging the band, uh, you just need to get over this. You, you need to get over it. And you need to shut up about it because you can't take from that picture anything more than just them sitting back and relaxing and taking a puff on a cigar. That's it. That, that's all there is to it. They haven't done anything wrong. There's no evil in that. Okay, and I'm, I'm sure I would have plenty to disagree with me on that, and that's fine. But you can't prove to me that it's a sin, and you certainly can't prove to me that it is a problem. Us Christians need to use our our spiritual mental energy to fight. Okay, I, I really just don't see it. I mean, there's like I said earlier, there's plenty of other things we need to be dealing with. Heck, there's plenty of other things we need to be dealing with in our own personal lives. Now. I'm not saying that they're above criticism, and I'm going to address that coming up. But just quite frankly, I think those of you who are judging the band because of this, I think you're wrong. And I think you need to get over it, and I think you need to shut up about it. Now, I want to move on to the the second group, and that's those judging the judgers. Okay, I saw numerous comments on Facebook from friends... Well, I sh- should say acquaintances, but pe- and people meant well. You know, they, they meant to go to the band's defense, but they started throwing out the uh, the whole. I, I really am sick of hearing this, but it's like, who are you to judge? Uh, line is you know you don't have a right to judge these men, and you know take care, you know sweep your own back door, and don't worry. and and, and there's some truth to that certainly, but at the same time, you know, we Christians are supposed to judge, and I, again, I've probably said something very shocking and controversial, but it shouldn't be controversial. We make judgments all the time. We're supposed to make judgments, because A, we don't know men's hearts, and B, we don't have a complete understanding of the situation. I I know, you know, I've studied martial arts, and one of the things that we have to do that that that, that helps you assess a situation is called situational awareness and you don't always know what your opponent is going to do and a lot of times people get into situations uh self-defense situations that they shouldn't have had to get into that they shouldn't have ha- they, they would have never gotten involved in had they not fallen for the the what's the word I'm looking for the the, the camouflaged intent the the, the camouflage designs that that somebody has for you and and what I mean by that as I was watching a uh, I was watching a uh, video by a wing Chun practitioner and he was talking about how now he trains and he trains and he trains and he trains but he said you know what the biggest thing is I can walk up to an opponent I, and a lot of times what you do, how just because you got skills doesn't mean you can't de-escalate the fight. you can't you, you, if if you can de-escalate, it's always better and he was talking about you know I don't know what how much training my opponent has. He might have more training than me. He might be faster than me. he might be um uh he might be smarter than me. He might have a bunch of friends around that when he's got me distracted. Then they can knife me. He might have a weapon. So the biggest thing for you to do, the, the smartest thing for you to do, is to de-escalate. Is to, you know, don't even put your hands in a position that looks aggressive. That to your opponent, you want to fight. He may want to fight you. But if you really don't want to fight him, you might want to consider how, how you place your hands. You know, you might want to consider how you place your stance. You might want to consider how you, um, the voice, the the terms, the words that you use. And his whole point was that if you don't need to fight, don't fight. Don't put yourself in a situation where you have to use your abilities. Because if you make one wrong move, or the guy has a knife or something like that, bam, you're dead. And all the, all the... All the skill and stuff that you had is, is going to be lost because a knife, you know, a knife to the gut, you got no fight after that. He was like, another thing that he kind of was addressing is like, look, you might have all these great skills, but it's really not a smart idea to walk down an alleyway. You see six guys that kind of look kind of nefarious down a dark alleyway Why are you going to walk down that dark alleyway? I don't care how much skill you've got in martial art. That's just stupid. Okay? So, you have to make judgments. And oftentimes, I mean, we do this all the time. There, there, There are times when you make judgments based on stuff that you don't know. And you should. Any smart person is going to make a reasonable judgment. The Bible doesn't tell us not to judge; it tells us to judge wisely, to judge properly. We we judge when we drive a vehicle. You have to. Matter of fact, growing up, I had on the dashboard of my well, my dad, my dad's cars all I had on the dashboard "drive defensively," and I could never figure out what that meant. So I finally asked my dad. I was a kid. And I asked my dad, what does drive defensively mean? Because I'm thinking, okay, I mean, what do you do? Get out and fight somebody? Do Do you run into somebody? And that's not what it's talking about. What it's talking about is it's talking about watching what other people do. Not only do you have to pay attention to the road, you have to pay attention to what the drivers around you are doing. And in other words, you have to be watchful for all the other idiots on the road because you just don't know people do make mistakes but when you make a mistake in a five thousand pound vehicle or you know uh, a, a truck with several tons on it you make a mistake people die people get injured property gets damaged people incur people incur costs financial costs to the because of the damage because somebody made a bad decision People make mistakes and people just do things stupidly. So driving defensively means that you have to not only judge how you are on the road, but you have to judge what other people are doing. Numerous times I've watched people, you you see somebody swerving in the road. I'm like, I got to get by this person or I got to give them some distance because I don't know if this person is drunk. I don't know if this person is distracted, or maybe they just don't know how to drive. I can't make those assessments, but I can say that is unsafe, and I don't want to be anywhere around when something bad happens. That's called smart judgment, folks. That's what needs to happen, and we don't have a whole lot of that in the kingdom of God, it seems, because we've got a bunch of people judging the judges. I don't have... Even despite what I said earlier about those who were judging the band, I don't necessarily have a problem with people saying, "Yeah, you know, guys, that really wasn't the smartest thing for you to do." At numerous times in my own life, I've done things that weren't necessarily wrong, but they were seen by other people as not the best thing I could have done. Numerous things, and you you grow up, you make mistakes, and I'm I'm embarrassed them. But then I look back and I go, well, you know, I, I was 10 years old when I did that. I was 15 years old when I did that. I was 18 years old when I did that. You know, when you're young, you're going to be stupid. And you, you know, if you don't learn from your mistakes, uh, then you're, then you're going to stay in stupid, you know? So there are many times that I was guided by people who were older or smarter older and smarter, you know, wiser than I saying, you know, that probably wasn't the best decision you could have made. That probably wasn't the best thing you could have said. That probably wasn't the best thing you could have done. Um, Was there no alternative to that was the question I got many times. You know, my father numerous times like, you know, really, William, you're smarter than that. And so and was my dad making judgments? You better believe he was making judgments. And we've got to stop living uh, in this "only God can judge me" mentality. I, I see that on shirts and and in tattoos. You know, only jo- God can judge me. Well, ultimately, yes, only He can. Only God can make a, a final judgment on your soul. But while we're on this earth, there are plenty of people that can judge you, and they should. We should be making judgments. We should be making judgments about what our children do. We should be making those judgments. We should be on not, not only what our children do, but what other people do when they're around our children. When when my children were small, and we would go to the store, we'd go to Walmart or whatever, I knew where my children were at all times. They were either, especially when they were really, really small. I had one of them in the cart, and I had my hand... Their hand in my hand, and if their hand wasn't in my hand, I had my eyes on them at all times. They didn't. They didn't run around to the other to the other um, uh, row of of um, in the store. Uh, they didn't run in, into those aisles. I always knew where my children were. And literally, there were times I'd have my hand on my son, or my son might, you know, he he'd be looking at something, and he was right there, and for some reason I, he was just just slightly got out of my eyesight. I mean, like, where's my son? Oh, there he is, and I'd go and grab his hand. It was very rare that that happened, but I, I know numerous times. Why was I like that? I was like that because there's bound to be somebody in the store at some time, who is a predator, who preys on children, or it could happen that my son or daughter could be innocently doing something, but because they're children, something gets broken. They pick something up that they shouldn't have picked up, and them being children, they're going to do things like that. Well, guess what? If I'm not there to tell them no, or if I don't have their, their hand in my hand, controlling and directing where they go, when we're at the store, then guess what? Trouble is bound to happen. Something's going to get broken. Somebody's going to get hurt. Some other kid is going to happen to be around and take the opportunity to feel that they're hurt. And guess what? Their mom or dad is going to come be mad at my son or daughter for something they just happen to be in the area. It happens, folks. So I make a judgment. As far as I'm concerned, Everybody in the store, unless I personally know them, everybody in the store is a potential predator. Now, some of you might think that that's extreme. and Maybe it is. But I have to make that judgment because I don't know who people are. And when people put themselves in a situation where they look guilty, I have to assume that they are. At least for that situation. I don't have to call the cops or anything like that. They haven't done anything. But I'm Darn sure gonna make I'm gonna make darn sure that I'm not gonna go looking for trouble. I'm not gonna trouble I'm not going to allow trouble to um help it come to my family. It's called being vigilant. Some of you call that judgment. I call it vigilance. So at any rate, I don't think all judgment is bad. And I think that when Christians are throwing shade on something, there has to be a reason. Despite what I said about the group before, I, I think it shows that at least we're vigilant and we're holding people to a higher standard, especially those who call themselves Christian. So those of you who are judging the judges... Yeah, you're judging. You're doing the very thing you're telling them not to do. Okay? And you're acting like judges yourself. You don't know the hearts of these people. You don't know what their motives are. You just assume that because they're, you know, they're saying something negative, that it's all about judgment. Maybe some of them, those judges that I pointed to, maybe some of them are just like, you know guys this probably isn't a good thing and i to be honest with you i think that that the reaction of judging the judgers is just flat wrong we've gotten we've gotten in our in in our minds here and in the church lately that we shouldn't judge anything i was listening to um years ago on xm radio i was listening to uh the uh radio factor by Bill O'Reilly and he he said something and I wrote this down I didn't I didn't draw it up but he's he said something to the effect of we're in a culture of no judgments we're not allowed to make judgments at all we're we're constantly th- thrown at you know those who are without sin cast the first stone and we all know nobody nobody on this earth is without sin so therefore no stones are being thrown or should be thrown well that's all well and good but meanwhile there's a lot of stuff happening right in front of our faces that we could do something about but we don't want to judge. And we're we're so afraid of getting that label placed upon us Christians that all oh, you guys are I see it all the time, judgmental Christians, judgmental Christians. Well first of all, let me tell you something. Okay? Judgment is not the exclusive domain of Christians. Plenty of secular people make judgments all the time. And they make often unrighteous ones. Unfair judgments. But that's okay. That's okay. We can't call people out on that. We can't say anything about bad judgment. Only Christians are not allowed to make judgments. And we've done that to ourselves We've done that to ourselves. I'm going to tell you what. I'm a father, and, I, and I, could, I'm, I know I'm speaking to some fathers and mothers out there. I'm going to tell you something. It's real easy to talk about not judging until some, if you have daughters, and some boy comes around, and he's got eyes for your daughter. You better believe you're judging that boy. I know I am. You're doing your research. You're doing your homework. You're watching. Why? Because we're men and we know what we think. So you better believe we're making judgments. Mothers, you're doing the same thing. You're doing the same thing with your boys. You're making judgments. And you should. If you're a parent, if you're a good parent, you're making judgments. You're deciding who's a a healthy friend and who's not. You're deciding what a healthy... You're making a judgment about whether or not the relationship your daughter is in with this guy is a healthy relationship or not. You got to make that call. Man up, woman up and make that call. Don't be afraid to make judgments. Like I said earlier, when we're driving, we make judgments all the time. When we're watching TV, we make judgments all the time. Granted not always the best ones, but we make judgments all the time. And I'm 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 going to deal a little bit with this later on, but in politics, we should absolutely be making judgments. As a matter of fact, I would dare say that part of the reason why we're in the uh, the I won't say the political miasma we're in, but this the 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 situation we find ourselves and the discontent we find with our political arena is largely because we citizens have not made good judgments and we voted these idiots in. I made a I made a comment. Uh, Back when the uh, Virginia legislature and the governor of Virginia was making um, plan designs, and plans to basically uh, infringe upon the Second Amendment rights of of its of Virginia citizens, and I I made some comments on Facebook in some posts, and I remember saying. You know, as much as I I, I do believe that the the people of Virginia need to rise up and they need to to protest this and they need to let the the Virginia governor know that he is overstepping his bounds and the legislature overstepping their bounds. But I said, but you know what? You guys voted these idiots in. What did you think you were going to get? I I mean, stop and think about that. In this country, a lot of the reasons why situations we're we're in politically – the, the political policies of the people that are in, we complain about our government, but we, the voters, put these idiots in place. California, they don't call it the People's Republic for nothing. I mean, it is absolutely ridiculous. The same people who voted for Gavin Newsom are going to be the first people to complain about the high taxes, which they already have. I mean, think about it, folks. You're not making the proper judgments you're not doing your homework. So, those of you, let me let me cycle it back to the striper gate, uh, to the cigar gate. Those of you judging the judges, even though I just said a little bit ago I said that they need to get over this, at the same time you guys, this group, the ones judging the judges, you need to stop it too. You need to stop it, okay? Stop throwing around the, the whole you shall not judge or lest ye be judged trope that we hear all the time and gets used against us. Yes, we're supposed to judge. We're supposed to judge wisely, but we are supposed to judge. So stop telling people they can't make judgments. all right Now, I want to move to the third group that I want to talk to, and I want to talk directly to them, even though I know they're, they, they don't even know who I am. They've never heard this podcast. But I'm going to talk to the band. I want to talk to the band, all right? Guys, Mike, Robert, Perry, Oz. Guys, personally, I don't care that you smoked a cigar. I don't care about that. Personally, if on occasion you utter a four-letter word, I don't really care about that. It's kind of disappointing for me personally, but in the grand scheme of things, it's not that big of a deal. However, you guys are in the limelight and you've been in the limelight since 19, what, 1986? 19, well, somewhere around in there. No, you, 1984. And you guys have been in, you are in the business of being in the limelight. So... You guys, you guys, your your photos are everywhere. You know, you're obviously your recorded work is everywhere. Your interviews are everywhere. Your, everything that you guys do is on public display. And you of all people should know that image is everything. You are in the business of image. Now, that may not be who you are when you're off stage, but as Christians especially as Christians you all ought to know that there are certain things that is not meant for public consumption I don't care I wouldn't have I, I personally if I'd have seen that photo when well, I did see the photo but if I'd have seen that photo it wouldn't, I would have I wouldn't have thought anything of it okay like they like to enjoy a cigar so what all right it wouldn't it wouldn't mattered to me but you had to know that that would matter to somebody. And you had to know that you guys, whether you like it or not, you guys are held up in high esteem and you're you're a public figure you're you're no different than the president or um you know a politician or a movie star and I grant you that there are many politicians and movie stars and rock stars and and country stars and music stars. Celebrities of various kinds who are fine with a reputation that is uh, pockmarked by scandal and and uh, rebellious deeds and things like that. I mean, if, if we saw a picture, uh, to give you an example, if we saw a picture of Motley Crue smoking cigars, nobody would, nobody would say that because they expect that from Motley Crue. If we see pictures, if we see photographs of them and they happen to have dirty magazines around, no one's going to bat an eye because that's Motley Crue. We expect that from them. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying that that's what we expect out of them because the world is going to live like the world. okay? But when you do it, when you do something, then everybody's going to see it. And I'm not saying you sh- I'm not saying you should be ashamed of smoking a cigar. I'm not saying, I'm not suggesting that at all. but I am saying that you guys I, I saw some I saw I think Michael Sweet made some kind of post about in, in reaction to the reaction and he well, I don't think he was apologetic about and I, he shouldn't be apologetic about it and I want to talk about that. but at the same time, he was almost defensive. Why are you defensive? Own it? You should have simply come out and said, Look, there's no there's no biblical prohibition that says we can't smoke cigars. Okay? But to be honest with you folks, or with you with you guys in the band, to be honest with you, you should have never released that picture in the first place. Not because you don't have a right to, not because you, you're not allowed to smoke a cigar, and not because you're not allowed to post a picture of it, but because it wasn't the smartest thing you could have done. It was just not a smart thing to do. I, and I'm, I'm going to use a rather extreme example to, to make my point. Okay, when somebody gets married and then the the young lady, the new wife, now is pregnant, everybody celebrates it. But we all don't talk about how she got pregnant, but we all know how she got pregnant. And we're it's obvious that they had sex it's obvious, but we don't need to talk about that because we all know why, and that was perfectly fine. We also don't need pictures. It's perfectly legitimate and fine and wonderful that a young couple who's gotten married has sexual relations. It's, it's perfectly okay, but we don't need pictures. We don't need graphic descriptions. I don't need to know what he said to her or what she said to him during the act. That's nobody's business. It's fine. Hey, do whatever you want to do. but it's not really wise for you to it, it would be very, very uncouth for the the young man to bring pictures. Yeah, this is what my wife and I were doing. really we already know. We don't need to see that. We don't I don't your pillow talk is none of my business. Okay. Now I'm not trying to equate smoking a cigar to sexual intercourse by any means. Uh, that I, I'm sorry that I, I'm almost sorry that I even use that comparison. But um, what I'm what I am saying is that guys, just because it's okay for you to do it, doesn't mean that it's going to be okay with everybody else. And maybe to avoid some of this controversy, maybe you shouldn't have posted that picture. I mean in reality you guys have to own the some of this responsibility for the criticism that you received was it was it okay for you to, to to smoke a cigar? No I mean it was fine I I don't have a problem with that and you don't need my permission by any means I don't I don't see any biblical prohibition all right and quite frankly you posting a picture doesn't bother me. But it obviously bothers somebody. So either A, you have to choose to not post the picture and avoid the controversy, or embrace the controversy when it happens. You can't be mad at people who make I, I'm not I'm not gonna say it's a legitimate criticism, but at least it was an honest one. It was, you know. I don't really think that the people who were criticizing you for that were doing so just just to criticize you. You're not the victim here. Okay? Nobody's a victim here. It, none, none of the groups that I mentioned. You're not you're not a victim here. You guys are in the business of image. And so you shouldn't be surprised when certain images disturb people, even in a little bit. You have to own that. Politicians, that's what they do all the time. Politicians are, I I think some of them aren't as smart about it as, as others, but politicians are always concerned about what is perceived. I mean, they run entire campaigns based on perception. Now, you're not politicians, but you have a product to sell. That's another thing. You look at products that that are advertised on TV. Perception is everything. Um, Those of you who are following this in the news, look at the coronavirus. Do you know that Corona beer is suffering sales because of the coronavirus just because of the name recognition? It really, you know, you'd think it's a joke and it is kind of funny, but the truth is there are people who are not buying Corona beer just because it has the same name. Really? Why? Because association, guilt by association, and it's unfortunate that people do that, and it's unpo- it's unfortunate because Corona beer was around, you know, and doing just fine before this, the the media hyped up the the coronavirus, and I do believe that it's a media hype. And that's probably for another podcast, but at any rate, the point is that. Image is everything. Image is everything. You know, it, we we talk about, you know, sometimes we say, well, you know, image is what you want people to see. Well, yes, that is true. But let me tell you something. You know, the Bible talks about how, you know, our behavior mars the image of Christ right? when, it, when it's bad behavior. As a matter of fact, I forget where the passage is. But it says that, that oh, and I, I can't recall the exact scriptural passage, but uh, that God's name is, it, I, I think Paul, the Apostle Paul says this, I forget which epistle he says this, but he says that, that God's name is blasphemed because of you. God's name is blasphemed among unbelievers because of you. Okay. And it's because of an image problem. When we don't do and behave and act in certain ways like we're supposed to, and we do that in public, it now becomes an image problem. Yes, Striper, you guys have to own this. At least some of the responsibility. So, I've spent enough time really on this, but just to kind of recap. To those judging the band... Get over it. Smoking is not a sin. To those judging the judgers, shut up. Stop throwing around the judge not lest ye be judged mantra. Because that's taken out of context. And quite frankly, I do think that we need to have people out there judging things. We need to have people wiser than us pointing out when we do something stupid. And to the band, guys, suck it up. You should simply say, hey, we enjoy smoking cigars. There's no biblical mandate that tells us not we can't. And hey, it is what it is. You know, as Gene Simmons of Kiss once said, there's no such thing as bad press. Although I don't really fully agree with that, but I understand his point. There's no such thing as bad press, there's only press. So, guys, Suck it up. You chose to post that picture. So simply say, hey, we chose to push that put that picture out there. We're bound to get some criticism. I am bound to get some criticism for what I say on this podcast. I, I'm bound to get it. And I don't mean just because I'm boring and repeat myself. I'm I'm pretty sure that there's gonna be some things I say on this podcast that people aren't going to like. And as much as I try to make sure that I'm not trying to offend anybody and I'm not trying to I'm not purposely trying to do that, but I'm bound to I'm bound to offend somebody and it's going to be right there where people can play it back for me. I'm bound to say something wrong. And there's going to be things that I'm going to openly say knowing full well that somebody's feelings is going to get hurt. And I just, I can't, I can't, um, I can't worry about that. I'm not, I'm not going to try to, I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings. and I'm not, I'm not trying to purposely call out anybody. I, I don't want to do that. I'm not, I'm not looking to point at people's sins. You know, I'm not trying to call somebody out because they, uh, they, they, you know, they did something wrong. But at the same time, I have to call things like I see them. And sometimes that's going to step on somebody's toes. Well, that means that there are going to be people out there who are just not going to like me. I guess I got to get over it. I either get over it or I don't have a podcast. So, that's my uh, two cents on that. And... Um, I'm going to get me a drink here, and then I'm going to move on to my next segment. All right. Now, I don't really do, um, I don't really do news things. I'm, I'm not, I'm not Rush Limbaugh. I don't really do, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll address some news items, but, um, I'm going to find this article that uh, I found very, very interesting. I want to make some comments on it um, because they're just recent events. Let's see. I need to, I need to locate this and it's just so while I'm trying to locate it, it's about, uh, it's about the situation with, uh, Chris Matthews. And let's see if I can find it here. Um, Trying to pull this up. Uh, I know I put it in some of my articles. Uh, okay. Got to find it. Where did I put it? And I'll put it in my saved articles. Uh, oops, that's not what I wanted. Yeah, no. Yeah, no. Yeah, no. Yeah, no, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, well, I'll have to find it elsewhere then. Go back here. Um, darn it. Where's my saved? I hate it when this happens. Looking for something, I can't find it. Oh, well, um,. Let's see if I got it in here. Uh, oh, yes, here it is. Found it. Okay. Um, and this is a, an article in PJ Media. And it's the article is by Victoria Taft. March 2nd. And the headline is MSNBC's Chris Matthews announces he's quote retiring, unquote. Breaks for a commercial and then is gone. And now that's hardball is the is the headline there. And uh, the headline the 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 body of the story says uh, uh, last week Chris Matthews was named as a boorish harasser and a an at-me-too gangster by a GQ reporter who outed him because of his treatment of presidential candidate Elizabeth Warren. Uh, the story started a stampede of angry women who went after Matthews and got him fired. He was canceled on the air. Matthews, a Washington political fi- fixture since the days when he worked for former House Speaker Tip O'Neill, hit the air at his usual time and announced that he- This was his last hardball. I'm not going to read you all that he said on that, but... After his announcement, MSNBC went to commercial, and when they came back to programming, Steve Kornacki was sitting in Matthew's chair. So what caused the ouster of Matthews? It started with a GQ article by reporter Laura Bassett, who'd been a guest on his show and was outraged by the treatment... Of presidential candidate Elizabeth Warren, <clears throat> so apparently, apparently, uh, well, here let me read. Let me read to you um, the, the the line. MSNBC host Chris Matthews, whose long history of sexist comments and behavior have somehow not yet gotten him fired, tested the boundaries of his own misogyny again on Wednesday night after the tenth Democratic presidential debate the hardball anchor grilled Elizabeth Warren about one of her lines of attack against Mike Bloomberg during the debate. That a pregnant female employee accused Bloomberg of telling her to kill it. Quote, you believe he's lying? Unquote, Matthews asked Warren of Bloomberg's denial. Quote, I believe the woman, which means he's not telling the truth, said Warren, who recently had to defend her own credible story of pregnancy discrimination. Quote, and why would he lie? Matthew said, just to protect himself. Quote, yeah, and why would she lie? Warren responded pointedly. She backed up her outrage with her own experience with. Ma- uh, I'm sorry. Now we're back to about uh, Miss Bassett. Um, she backed up her outrage with her own experience with Matthew's creepy sexist behavior, which never became more than leering and inappropriate comments. And she writes. In 2017, I wrote a personal essay about a much older married cable news host who inappropriately flirted with me in the makeup room a few times before we went live on his show, making me noticeably uncomfortable on air. I was afraid to name him at the time for fear of retaliation from the network. I'm not anymore. It was Chris Matthews. In 2016, right before I had to go on his show and talk about sexual assault allegations against Donald Trump, Matthews looked over at me in the makeup chair next to him and said, "Why haven't I fallen in love with you yet?" When I laughed nervously and said nothing, he followed up to the makeup artist, "Keep putting makeup on her. I'll fall in love with her." Another time, he stood between me and the mirror and complimented the red dress I was wearing for the segment. "You going out tonight?" he asked. I said I didn't know and he said again to the makeup artist, quote, "Make sure you wipe this off her face after the show. We don't want we don't make her up so some guy at a bar can look at her like this." Unquote. Again, Matthews was never my boss. I'm pretty sure that behavior doesn't rise to the level of illegal sexual harassment, but it undermined my ability to do my job well. And after I published a story about it, even though I didn't name him, dozens of people reached out to say they knew exactly who it was. Many had similar stories. Okay, and that's the end of uh, Bassett's um, claim. Um, So... And then, of course, we have Media Matters, which is a very liberal uh, group. It's called. It's really an attack sheet and self-described media watchdog for the far left. Reacted to Matthews' ouster by saying, basically, it's about time. Vice President Julie Julie Milliken issued this statement quote "Uh, Matthews' departure from MSNBC is long overdue. Uh, And I'm going to stop there. I agree with that, but not for the reasons that this person cites. All right, anyway, continue on. He has decades he has a decades-long history of misogyny on and off the air and even openly bragged about whether women measured up to his quote Chris Matthews test unquote of women's attractiveness. He spoke derisively of female politicians, derisively of female politicians, excuse me, complaining about their voices and diminishing their accomplishments. He had a particular fixation on whether powerful women were castrating their male counterparts. Matthew's derogatory behavior towards women extended off air as well. I just want to stop there just for a second. Okay, isn't it interesting that uh, Julie Milliken, vice president of Media Matters, isn't it interesting that what she calls misogyny is at least... On air here is not speaking well of the women. Okay, now I find it interesting. Well, let me go on. Let me go on. I'll I'll, I'll get to my point on this shortly. Um, <clears throat> continuing on. Uh, He had a particular, Matthews, had a particular fixation on whether powerful women were castrating him. I already said that. Um, Okay. Uh, NBC Universal has settled at least one sexual harassment claim against Matthews. and And as recently as last week, journalist Laura Bassett, who I spoke of above, disclosed that Matthews behaved in a gross and inappropriate manner when she was a guest on his show. Now, I'll stop there. I'm sorry. I don't like Matthews. I disagree with him very much. I have disagreed with him very, very much. But how in the world is what he said gross and inappropriate? I, I don't I don't get that. I, I don't understand that. How is it, you know, he didn't Try to fondle her breasts. He didn't, you know. I mean, it was very clear that he saw, thought she was attractive, but I, I still, I don't understand how thinking a woman is attractive and even mentioning it is sexual harassment. Okay, I, I don't get that. You know, he it didn't. I it didn't sound to me like he asked for any favors. It didn't sound to me like he, uh, and it wasn't reported as that. All he did was he just complimented her, and it made her uncomfortable. Now, I wasn't there, and maybe there was a creepy manner in which he said it, okay? Being creepy is not necessarily sexual harassment, okay? Okay? You know, maybe that's your perception. Him being creepy maybe have been your perception. And I'll grant you Matthews probably should have just kept his mouth shut, but not because I thought he was wrong. Because you gotta protect yourself in this industry. If this is another case of hey, you know what? Even if you intend To be nice and polite and complimentary. You know, you probably should just not say anything. Because that way you will avoid trouble. Especially in this climate. Today's uh, political climate and the cultural climate in which we find ourselves. Okay. So anyway... um, Despite all of this, MSNBC continued to give Matthews a powerful platform on the network, making him a feature of their political commentary and a staple of their election coverage. No matter how the decision was made for Matthews to exit, the fact remains that NBC turned a blind eye to his sexist, misogynistic, and offensive behavior for years. This move was beyond overdue, and the network should be ashamed to have propped up this man for so long. Media Matters has documented Matthews' misogyny for years. He was also named Misinformer of the Year in 2005. The Misinformer designation is presented annually to the most influential or prolific purveyor of misinformation, lies, and smears in the U.S. media. And Media Matters should be right at the top of that list. They do nothing but distort and misinform That's all they do. That's that's their whole purpose for existing. So, I really, you know, them saying that is, you know, the pot calling the kettle black. As far as I'm concerned. So anyway, uh, the article continues. Now, no longer quoting um, Miss Milliken. The NBC News gods decided that Matthew's gross behavior was more detrimental going into a presidential election than having him on set. And I think that right there is where all of this comes from. I I think that. okay, Like I said just a few minutes ago, I'm not really I don't. I'm not really disappointed that Chris Matthews is gone from MSNBC and uh, media matters is correct. He is a misinformer. He is a, he is, he was, he was basically, uh, exactly what media matters is. And, uh, He was a cheerleader for the left. And uh, so, you know, what I'm looking at, I'm looking at this as, well, they eat their own. And they do. The left eats their own. Because now, well, I'll tell you what I think got Matthews fired. It was not his quote-unquote misogyny. They were... MSNBC was fine with that. They were okay with that. Just like NBC was fine with um, Matt Lauer's exploits. Everybody knew what was going on with Matt Lauer. Everybody... It was only when it got exposed that everybody started running to the hills. All, all the, the, the NBC execs started running to the hills. And... They fired him. They knew what he was doing. And I'm also going to say this, and I'm not defending Matt Lauer at all, but, you know, there were a lot of women who were complicit in in his sexual exploits. I'm not saying he didn't do anything nefarious. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that some of the people that are pointing fingers at him were willing participants. not Definitely not all of them, but some of them were. And that came out, too. But Matt Lauer lost his job. Okay? And deservedly so. But, the, um, the execs knew what, they, what was going on with Matt Lauer, just like MSNBC knew what Matthews was doing. And they were perfectly willing to turn a blind eye until... His gross behavior became a liability. uh let me throw another one out there, far worse than than Mont Lauer or Chris Matthews, and that's harvey weinstein okay and i I find it interesting that some of the the very people who were you know calling out Trump's supposed misogyny were perfectly okay with Weinstein. They knew what he was doing. They they all knew what he was doing. Meryl Streep, she knew what he was doing. President Obama knew what he was doing. Oprah Winfrey knew what he was doing. Okay, okay, But as soon as things got exposed, now he becomes hot potato. And they're doing all they can to disavow any knowledge. Well, the pictures are out there. The sound bites are out there. Of these people praising, hanging around Harvey Weinstein. And they knew what he was doing. They knew it. And some of the women who were bringing the charges against Harvey Weinstein, and he is a pig... And he should go to jail. But I'm going to tell you that there were people, there were women who were not the victims of the casting couch. They perfectly utilized the casting couch as a way to further their career. But you won't hear that. Because they're victims. And some of them were. Some of them were legitimate victims. But some of you who were covering for Weinstein, you're just as guilty as he is, because you didn't say anything, you didn't speak up, you covered it up too. Okay, now, and I'm going to take this even further here. Okay, so um, one of the like I said, I'm not, I'm not disappointed that Matthews is gone. However uh while the people on the right and I'm I'm on the right uh who are celebrating Matthew's departure i think it's very 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 dangerous to be glad that he's gone for the reason that he was fired and let go and resigned because number 1 it is an unproven allegation it's just an accusation okay and we went through this whole thing with um Judge Kavanaugh and the unsubstantiated uh, accusations that came his way. And we were all, you know, all of us on the right were like, hey, hey, this isn't right. This isn't right. This isn't right. Well, even though I don't like Matthews and I don't support Matthews and I'm not disappointed he's gone, I still think that the accusation is wrong. So, I don't I don't want to see anybody lose their job for something that is unjust. Okay. So we got this unproven allegation, and it's really not sexual harassment. Okay. It's just an accusation. Okay. I'm gonna tell you why I think Matthews was fired. I think Matthews was fired is because well to be quite honest with you he's a grossly incompetent journalist and he didn't have a problem letting his bias show he was a he was an obvious show all of MSNBC is but he was an obvious cheerleader for uh left-leaning Politicians and left-leaning causes, he he was a cheerleader for that, and it got to be where he was actually starting to slip up and say things that were like, even MSNBC was like, okay, we don't need you to be admitting the you know tacitly admitting those things on air, you know, you're supposed to at least act like a uh, an unbiased journalist. As a neutral journalist, and NBC doesn't. They're MSNBC is not. They they are as liberal as they come. They are left lean. They're they're so left leaning that the ship is going to capsize. They're so left leaning. Okay. I also think that. Matthews not only was exposing the 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 um the biases of his network specifically and of the mainstream media generally I also think he was fired for daring to challenge Lynn Warren. Even if it was a softball Liz Warren, not Lynn Warren, Liz Warren, even if it was a softball challenge. I really, really, really do think that Chris Matthews, his daring to call Liz Warren out in those questions. I didn't see anything, oddly enough, given the fact what I said about his, his journalistic integrity. Um, I think he was absolutely right to say, to ask Liz Warren in regards to Bloomberg, uh, so you believe he's lying? and liz warren says this i believe the woman which means he's not telling the truth so in other words you know it's it's like the old joke we used to say my brother says this all the time he goes you know how i can tell they're lying their lips are moving that's essentially what liz warren was saying you know she believes the woman because it's michael bloomberg because he's a man so he must be lying now i believe michael bloomberg is a liar and I'm not saying that he didn't tell this woman that. But there's no evidence. There's no substantiated evidence that he did. And in this country, guess what? We're innocent until proven guilty. And even though I believe that he's capable of doing that, and he probably did do it, there's no evidence that, says, that proves that he did. And so Liz Warren goes under that you know, she makes her judgment on that time-honored, well, he's a guy, so he must be lying. Okay? And so um, Chris Matthews legitimately presses her on this and says, I would lie. And bear in mind, Liz Warren is no stranger to lying. I mean, we don't call her Focahontas for nothing. And she she flat-out lied about the fact that she was fired for being pregnant. She lied about that. So, again, pot calling the kettle black. And she was she was upset with, with Matthews for him pressing her on this. And why would he lie, he asks. Just to protect himself? And so she's like, yeah, and why would she lie? Now, she doesn't have to like that exchange. That's fine. I get that. It was contentious. I get that. But that's not sexual harassment. that's that's not what media matters is accusing Chris Matthews of, and so I think he was fired for daring to challenge Liz Warren. That's what I think. How dare he even suggest that a woman, especially a woman in with some kind of some kind of political power and cred, how dare he challenge? Somebody uh, challenge a woman in politics. How dare he? And this whole, and the network is using the sexual harassment label as a veneer to veil their real intentions. because for years, they apparently let this go. And now all of a sudden, it's become a liability. So I find the timing of this very very suspect. Now again as I said before that the fact that Chris Matthews is is no longer on I, even though I didn't watch him uh I'd seen enough of him to know that quite frankly I can't stand him as a uh as a journalist. He's very very left wing bias. So even though I'm glad he's gone, I'm not glad he's gone for the reasons that he's gone. And MSNBC, they are, what they're doing is they're, they're eating their own. And that's what they do. That's what the left does. The left eats their own. And it's so funny because the people who support things on the left... They don't realize that they're going to be on the menu. I've said it before. I said it in another podcast. You know, and it's fine if you want to support Bernie Sanders, but I'm telling you, the people who support Bernie Sanders are going to be the first victims of his bad policies. It's just the way it is. And they're gonna be wondering, they're gonna be they're gonna be awestruck. They're not gonna understand, they're gonna be confused. I, I don't wonder how could this happen? Well you voted for this. You know, I, I saw a great meme, a couple of friends of mine posted. I don't really like to you know, I find some memes on Facebook to be just totally not worth your time. But every now and then I see one that I really like. And it was like, just remember, if Bernie Sanders wins and we have bread lines, I'm going to kick your tail and take your bread. If I have to stand in a bread line, I'm going to take kick your tail and take your bread. Because you voted for this idiot. You voted for this nonsense. You guys don't realize that the very people who think they're going to get free stuff and get things by supporting Bernie Sanders, they're going to be the very ones on the bottom of the feeding trough. Okay, I'm back. See, for you, it's just a split second. For me, it was, you know, at least 30 seconds. Um, now, I want to talk about something that... um. I spoke earlier about, I know I'm going to say some things that are probably going to turn some people off, and it's true, and I really want, I want to address something that really bothers me, it bothers me so bad, and I tend to talk about things in threes, it's something I learned from preaching, (laughs) I tend to talk about things in threes, so forgive me if you tend to see that pattern that's going to constantly invade my monologues, at least. And that is, I want to talk about the Jesse Smollett race hoax, the myth of white privilege, and the church of victimhood. Now, I didn't make a whole lot of, I just kind of jotted some things down to kind of jog my memory and, uh, I'm kind of gonna freestyle a little bit, so forgive me if I seem redundant in some areas. Um, but the first thing that that I want to note is, okay, it's been a year, it's been over a year now since Jesse Smollett fabricated fab, manufactured an attack on himself, and for just a little bit, he was getting all sorts of love from the and media attention from his his co-stars and people on the talk shows and um Good Morning America and people were uh, you know treating him like he was the victim and he certainly played it he played it well then of course the truth came out and I'm not going to replay everything about it in, in certainly in this, I've already taken up a lot of time, but what is interesting is that when it first occurred, people rushed, people specifically in the media, rushed to support him. And they believed, they, they were already predisposed to believe his story. Okay? Without evidence... They were predisposed to believe his story. And, well, it turned out to be a hoax. But, you know, did Robin Roberts, after she had that very sad exchange with him on Good Morning America and, and uh, the the talk show hosts on The View and, and what was the other one? The Talk, especially, uh, was it, I can't remember her name, Sarah... Um, she used to play on Roseanne. Um, anyway, and others who, you know, went on talk shows and in support of Jesse, and, and you know, they believed him. And you know why they believed him? Because they wanted to. Because they believed that they they needed to believe. They needed to believe that there were white guys wearing... MAGA hats out there targeting young black men, young successful black men, that they were looking for an opportunity to lynch a black person. They they wanted to believe that. They needed to believe that. But as the evidence came out, and it didn't take long, As the evidence came out, all this, 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 this emotional support that Jesse was getting slowly faded. But not one of these people, not one of these people. Um, Robin uh, Richardson, I think that's her name, uh, Robin Richards from um, uh, Good Morning America and uh the others that's I didn't I didn't there was no apologies issued there was no we were wrong no, there was no public apologies there was no public admission that they were wrong and even after the evidence came out there was still belief that it happened despite the evidence okay why is that Because they needed to believe that there's still white people out there trying to hunt down black people. That it's still part of the culture. Now, I'm not denying that there's racism. Racism exists. But I want to point out something. That when often when we talk about racism... We often only talk about racism in one direction. We only talk about racism when it's white to black. Okay? Racism is racism. All cultures have racism. All cultures have racism. You wouldn't think I'm But it's, for example, the Chinese still hate the Japanese. Do you know that in Korea, a mixed-race child is ostracized from society? I don't know if it still occurs, but it it has occurred in the 20th century. And horrible, th- horrible things are done. Okay? Even in Africa, there's racism. Blacks against blacks. And in America, guess what? What Jesse Smollett did was racist. He wanted to pin the guilt on white folks and the and the the media and the culture at large wanted to believe it they wanted to believe this that's why it got so much traction now granted there are people who are um there are people who are legitimately angry over this and they should be but yet we don't hear the I don't even want to call it reverse racism because that's, that's not, it's not, racism is racism. Whether it's white to black, black to white, uh, white to oriental, oriental to, to Latino, Latino to black, it doesn't matter. Racism is racism. Okay. If it's wrong with one group to another, it's still wrong with another group to another. It's wrong. Okay. Smollett created a hoax. Now some would say, well, you know, he was he was trying to gain some sympathy so he could, you know, he could increase his salary. I'm sure that was part of the motivation. but he tried to use as as the police Chicago police chief said he tried to use the racial tension in this country in order to advance himself it's racism folks he is guilty of a racism. And all those people. Who got behind him. Are just as guilty. Of racism. Okay. But as soon as the evidence came out. All of a sudden. All of that went away. All of that went away. And. All or not? Not all the racism went away, but all of the, uh, all of the, uh, we didn't hear it all shouted from the rooftops anymore. All of a sudden, everybody gets quiet. There was no apology, and, and you know, let's let's take this even further. All right. Let's, let's get off Jesse for a second and let's talk about the smearing of the, the Covington Catholic students and Nick Sandman who were called racists that a, a video was, perf- was purposely altered to show only one small section in order to create an image that these boys had perpetrated something against uh, a person of another race that there was and what what you didn't see in the video in, in the video that was posted on you didn't see the black Hebrew Israelites shouting racial epithets and saying all sorts of racist things against those boys and those boys were minding their own business and once that was exposed you didn't hear any outrage from the media you didn't hear any why because it wasn't useful for perpetuating the narrative that only whites are racist you know we can we can go back Years ago, um, to the Duke Lacrosse rape hoax. Now, I'm not saying that the uh, Duke Lacrosse team was purer than the wind driven snow. I'm not saying that at all. But I am saying that as it turned out, they were falsely accused. They were falsely accused, and all of them suffered scholastically because of the false accusation. And it just so happened that race was brought into it because apparently the prostitute involved was a black woman that they supposedly raped. And that was made headlines, by the way, that the the Duke lacrosse team was white and the young woman was black. Well, as it turned out, it wasn't true. No apologies. No talk about the racial prejudice going from black to white. And the famous, let's, let's take this even back in front of the famous Tawana Brawley, Al Sharpton race hoax. That he still hasn't apologized for. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, just just Google Tawana Brawley and Al Sharpton. It was a hoax. And I'll tell you that these hoaxes are meant to perpetuate a narrative. And that narrative is the myth of white privilege. Now, we can't undo what has been done in this nation's history okay and i can sit here and say you know we're certainly not the only ones guilty of this and we're not and i'll, I'll i it, it it still many many people will not give a pass simply because it was western culture who did away with the slave trade. As a matter of fact, this country went to a very, very bloody war where well over a half a million individuals died to oppose slavery. Now, it was clearly both sides, but there were a lot of sons, a lot of men... Who died on battlefields in bloody, gory battles in order to fight slavery. We can't we can't deny that this country has made mistakes. Big mistakes. Can't deny any of that. But the problem here is that much of what was in history is now distant history. But we're never forgiven for it. Why? We're not forgiven for it because we need just like Jesse Smollett needed needed to use victimhood in order to advance himself. That's exactly what the race baiters in the culture are doing. They need to keep opening that wound. I'm going to tell you this right now. I do not have white privilege. White privilege does not exist in this country as of right now. It does not exist. That's not a denial that there aren't racists. But white privilege does not exist in this country. Okay? And I am quite frankly tired of being told that I'm a racist by default just because I'm white. It it, it's just that simple. Okay? It's really to me, white privilege, the, the that label, that is a racist that is a racist label. The the, you know, I, I I'm going to tell you this right now, people, you know, I I've, I've even I, I I've even said that there there are articles written about supposedly white privilege and how even when we are not even aware of it, we're We're acting in racist ways simply because of certain things that we're involved with. or That's just baloney. It's baloney. And I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to read to you an article by a Dr. Carol Swain. She's a former political science and law professor at Vanderbilt University. And her essay is adapted from her contribution to the 1776 initiative which aims to counter the flawed and divisive narrative put forth by the New York Times, excuse me, by the New York Times 1619 project. And she writes this, and this is a, a great article to read, and I posted it on my Facebook. She writes this, she goes, I reached my formative years before critical race theory, and cultural Marxism gained a dominant foothold. Even though I was born and grew up in rural southern poverty during the era of segregation, I was not taught to hate white people or to hate America. Instead, my black teachers stressed our need to work hard and excel. I grew up to be a proud American who never doubted she lived in the greatest country in the world. No one around me encouraged me to see myself as a victim. I never fixated on the fact that I was black, poor, and female. Had I done so, I doubt I would have achieved anything. The sixteen nineteen Project is a misguided effort to keep open historical wounds while telling only half of the story. And I could stop right let me just stop I could stop right there and that that could be my headline for this. Let me read that part again. The 1619 Project is a misguided effort to keep open historical wounds while telling only half of the story. See, people like Jesse Smollett and Al Sharpton and the smearers of, the, of the, the Catholic students, they want to keep the historical wounds open. That's what they want to do. Let me f- read further. It is flawed because it, co- it is connected to critical race theory and the diversity inclusion grievance industry that focuses on identity politics and division. Blaming today's families for the mistakes of our ancestors is not a prescription for unifying the country or empowering racial and ethnic minorities. She goes on. <clears throat> Critical race theory is an analytical framework to analyze institutions and culture. Its purpose is to divide the world into white oppressors and non-white victims. Instead of traditional forms of knowledge, it uses personal narratives of marginalized mer- minority quote-unquote victim groups, such as blacks, Hispanics, and Asians, as irrefutable, quote, evidence of the dishonesty of their mostly white heterosexual oppressors. The ultimate goal of this theory's proponents is to remake society so that the victim class eventually displaces the oppressors and becomes the new ruling class. Within this framework, White privilege and its unearned benefits are responsible for economic, health care, and social disparities in minority communities. It advances a narrative of blame that declares white America guilty for the plight of blacks. When it comes to education, members of the victim classes do all the teaching. It is a worldview and narrative that commands white people to sit in obedience and listen quietly to the arguments about their unjust gains as well as their obligations to provide a remedy for, in this case, black Americans, whether they are descended from slaves or not. She goes on, "There There is no way out for whites when it comes to race. Critical race theory assumes that racism is permanent and affects every aspect of our society, including political, economic, social, and religious institutions. I want to stop there. She's exactly right. I'm starting to see some of this mentality creep into our churches. And we talk in our churches... And I, you know, not only do I, in my own churches, but in churches of friends that, you know, I know across, across this country and even the world, we always talk about division being a bad thing. Division is a bad thing. Well, this right here, critical race theory, is purposed. To divide. It is purposed to divide. All right. Let me move on. The theory further advances the belief that being born with white skin in itself gives unearned privileges. Therefore, any expectation of societal attainment of color blindness in which race or ethnicity does not hinder opportunities is impossible to be achieved neutrality in law and decision making is a pipe dream that can never be attained therefore this mistaken reasoning goes excuse me therefore this mistaken reasoning goes the oppressive system must be dismantled and destroyed she goes on this flawed theory suggests that race and ethnicity will always taint and pollute every decision and as a result racial minorities will consistently consistently lose out to whites because of structural racism The message is clear. If you are unfortunate enough to be born with black skin, you are forever a second-class citizen who pays a race penalty. Under this rationale, the most affluent blacks rank below the poorest whites when it comes to privilege and opportunities. We are asked to believe that more than 50 years of affirmative action programs and race consciousness have done nothing to change the trajectory or opportunities of people born without white skin. Critical race theory says every dysfunctional condition in black urban communities can be traced to slavery and its aftermath. There is no place for the individual choice initiative. In other words, what she's saying with that last those last two sentences is that race theory says that everything is traced to the results of slavery and that You can't make an individual choice as to how the success of your life. That individual choices don't matter. That you're already prone to making bad decisions. Excuse me. That you're already prone, that you're already predetermined to be unsuccessful. She writes this. What critical race theory actually quote-unquote accomplishes is to create anger, frustration, and despondency among persons in the victim categories who internalize the destructive message. And it is indeed a destructive message. Universities and colleges have created a cottage industry of people who profit from indoctrinating America's future leaders with a dangerous and destructive ideology. These future leaders then spread this diseased ideology, like a virus without an antidote, into corporate boardrooms as well as K-12 public and private schools, both Christian and non-Christian. This is a poison. This is a poison that is working through our systems. I move on. She writes, Education is now about white privilege indoctrination. According to the narrative, all white Americans are guilty oppressors who have benefited from their white skin, even if their parents are, say, Appalachian poor or high school dropouts working at the local big-box franchise store, parenthetical here, if employed at all. Once the oppressor label is applied, accepted and internalized, a deadly silencing ensues. In some cases, animated videos with messages of white guilt and oppression shown to middle and high school students create damaging images where whites are taught guilt and minorities are assigned permanent and debilitating victimhood. She goes on to write, we can do better. Within Christian communities, there is a basis for countering destructive narratives that have invaded our educational institutions and the corporate world. The solution for hatred, bitterness, and distrust can be found in New Testament principles. Rather than wallow in the past and revisionist efforts to build a case for reparations, we as Americans need to move forward while practicing the forgive, the forgiveness and love of neighbor that Jesus espoused. I want to stop there for a second. There was an article written by the New York Times just recently, and the title was something to the effect of why, African Americans are wa- are leaving white evangelical churches. And I don't have that article here, but I did read it. And the interesting thing about it is there's no sense of forgiveness. Not only am I guilty because I'm white, I can't even be forgiven for sins that I didn't even commit. So people who... There are people who claim to be deeply spiritual and yet they can't let go of the past and they can't forgive. I'm not allowed to be forgiven because I'm automatically an oppressor. She goes on to write, We need not look any further than the golden rule do unto others as you would have them do unto you to find the tools that enable us to transcend racial and ethnic ethnic conflicts that keep us from working together and celebrating our victories. Our present approach cripples members of the designated victim groups while creating new victims among those classified as oppressors. I really couldn't say it any better than she said it. That's why I read the entire article. Folks, white privilege is a myth. And I'm tired of the... I'm growing very, very resentful I know I shouldn't have resentment I'm growing very very resentful that we talk about racism we only talk about it in one direction if you really want to get rid of racism as Dr. Martin Luther King said darkness cannot drive out darkness only light can do that you know what You know what the tag of white privilege is? It's revenge. The race merchants, people like Al Sharpton and Jesse Jackson, they're not the only ones. But the race merchants, they are using the human tendency to want revenge. And they're using it to enrich themselves. They are doing exactly what she describes in this article. They are, they are spread poison. They are, I'm, I, there, there's this quote. I love it. Um, and I already read it, but I, I can go back and find it. it oh, I can't find it now. Sorry, guys. This is, like I said before, this is real. This is being real. So I'm trying to find, trying to find it. This, this is a great, once the oppressor label is applied, accepted, and internalized, a deadly silencing ensues. I have to sit there while other people call me a racist if they don't actually use that term. They, they actually they, they hang a label on me of being that, and not just me, I'm just using myself as an example. And I have to sit there and be quiet. I can't, the very the very fact that I have just talked about this is going to upset some people. Because I'm rising up and I'm saying, no, I do not have white privilege. I am not a racist. I don't even need, I, I shouldn't even have to say that. I, I know I didn't teach my children racism. I know I didn't teach them that. I wasn't taught that. So I'm tired, pr- quite frankly, I'm tired of the label. I, if there's anything in my life, those of you who know me personally know one of the things that I despise is to be accused of something I didn't do. I can take a lot of things, but to be accused of something I am not, or that I didn't do, I will, if you'll pardon this expression, I will fight like hell to remove that label. And I'm tired of it. So at any rate, um, I think I've gone on long enough... Uh, for this particular episode, and I appreciate you hanging on with me this long, I've been going on for over two hours now, I apologize for the redundancies, and I apologize for the ums and the ahs, and, uh, but I know that uh, I'm getting better, and I wanted you guys to see the progression of my, uh, of how I'm doing over the course of the episodes, and this time next year I'll be even better than I am now. And, uh, I hope that, uh, you will at least hear some of the things that I tried to discuss and I'm, I'm sure I wasn't clear on everything. I'm sure I bounced around a little too much I try not to be too boring. Uh, but these are thoughts from a lawnmower and sometimes the thoughts just come in and they go and you think about something and there's, there's like this natural ebb and flow of my thought process. And so I'm just merely voicing my thought process. Some of you might question that, but I'm voicing it anyway. So with that, I think I'm going to close out this episode and, uh, I look forward to, uh, coming to you again, hopefully with a, a new guest. I'm not going to do these monologues too, too often, but, uh, I wanted to kind of present to you guys what I'm passionate about. And so uh with this I will uh I will bid all of you have a good day and uh be blessed and uh don't be afraid to speak your mind. We may not always agree, but I want I want people to I want people to speak. The answer to the answer to um, bad speech is more speech. So speak out. Be an American. Be free. Speak your mind. Think about what you're going to say, but speak your mind. And maybe we can hear from from uh, some some other people. I hope I can inspire some other people to maybe start. Um, start their own podcast or start their own YouTube channel or something and, and speak out. And <clears throat> uh, Before I close out this, there's a couple things that I, I want to say. I want to I give a shout out to my friend uh, John Helton, who has the uh, Marital Monkey podcast uh, on Anchor, I believe. And uh, I believe he's also on Twitter. And go check him out. I think you will find that uh, he's got a lot of good information. He's a he's a brilliant guy, and I um I want to give him a shout out. I also want to give a shout out to my friend Mike Bost, who has a podcast called The World as I See It, and it's on SoundCloud, and it's probably elsewhere. I don't know exactly where else, but I know it's on SoundCloud. And uh, he's a great speaker, and he's a he's a really good guy, and I think. I always learn something when I talk with him. He always has something very edifying. So if you want, if you want edification, if you want to learn something, go, uh, go listen to Mike, uh, Mike boss in the world as I see it. Um, I'm going to give a shout out to my friend, Matt Crump and his God's got this, uh, podcast and, uh, good friend of mine. And, uh, I'd like to just uh, extend a, a, a thank you for the reception that I've gotten through these podcasts. Thank you to my my previous guests. And uh, thank you to the ones that are going to be coming on soon. And I uh, thank you the listeners, however many of you there may be. I thank you for even, even the ones who don't like me. I thank you for taking your time out and giving me a listen. And so with that, I'm going to close out today's episode.